Welcome to the Advisor Talk podcast channel. This is Nick Stewart, CEO and Authorised Financial Advisor at Stewart Group. If you're new to the show, Stewart Group is a CFEX certified financial planning and advisory firm serving clients throughout New Zealand with offices in Hawke's Bay and Wellington. The information provided or any opinions expressed in this show are of a general nature only and should not be construed or relied on as a recommendation to invest in a financial product or class of financial products. You should seek financial advice specific to your circumstances from a financial advisor before making any financial decisions. A disclosure statement can be obtained free of charge. As always, to have on the phone Brent Alcock, who uh, is a representative of the Stewart Group from down there in Wellington. G'day, Brent. How are you going? I'm very well, Ken. How are you doing? Well, it's. Uh, I always say to uh, anyone who asks, you know, I think we live in a paradise here, and it's just another day in paradise because uh, as we record this program, the sun is beating down in Hawke's Bay. It's going to be about 28 to 29 degrees. What about where you are? Well, it's it's a pretty fine day here in Wellington. Um, it was. Well, it was it was a little windy, shall we say, over the yeah. past three days. <laughs> I think it got up to 120, 120 k's um, at some stage with those gusts. Now, I, I've just moved into a new property that I'm, I'm renting. Uh, I know we talk about property a little bit over the time, Ken, but uh, the roses took a bit of a battering, so I went <laughs> out there to uh, to try and water them and 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 um, get them all tied up again. And uh, got up this morning and. Well, my work was to, to no avail. So, um, yeah, a bit windy, but it's sunny. So uh, that's nice. I know. And, uh, who'd want to live anywhere else? Look, Wellington on a great day, it's uh, the most beautiful city in the world, isn't it? Yeah. And the dockside's come along and to Papa and mm, all that area. Fabulous. Custom custom key. It's just it's lovely. There's so much here. And then there's many, many walks. And I, I, look, the founders of the city, they, they had... They must have had great foresight because they've ringed it with all those trees, and it's like a—I don't know—it's like an Amazonian, Amazonian sink um, of you know of, of oxygen. You go up to Mount Victoria, beautiful place. Yeah. There's lovely places all throughout Wellington. Absolutely right. Always something to do as well. That's what I love about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Brent, today uh, we're going to talk about uh, DIY investing. But before we get there, just remind our listeners what the Stewart Group is all about. financial advisory firm. When I say independent, I mean that we're um, separate from the institution, separate from the banks or the insurance companies. So we we look at things um, like you would look at your own, things for your own mother or your own grandmother. Uh, An independent financial advisory business, which is fee-based. That's important because instead of charging commissions or things of that nature, we rebate as much as we can by law, Mm -hmm. all of the commissions, and we just say, look, here's the fee that you will pay, um, the same as you would with a doctor or an accountant or or a lawyer. All right, now today we're going to talk about uh, DIY investing, and we could look at that in many ways, I suppose, Um, but I I would guess that most punters like myself might think, hmm, if I was going to invest in something, what might it be? And I might immediately think, oh, I might invest in a rental. Tell us about DIY investing. So DIY is do it yourself. Um, And and that's as as simple as as DIY is. It means all of the the choices are yours uh, to make. Now, 
that's fine. It's the same as, um, you know, you can DIY, as we were saying before earlier on, about you can DIY your own garden. You can grow your own tomatoes. You can grow your own avocados. You can grow your own bananas if you have a banana tree. Or you can delegate that and go out and do it at a supermarket. And the supermarket takes the, the risk of buying the, the goods and services, and there could be supply-side shocks and things of that nature. But DIY means you go out and do it yourself. Now, that's fine. No harm in doing that whatsoever. I've found, though, Ken, the big choice is, oh, gee, I've got, I've got my $5 or my $10 or my $1,000 or whatever it is this month to invest. Where do I put it? Do I buy uh, a Coca-Cola share? Or do I buy an Auckland Airport share? Uh, and the risk that comes along with that. So DIY is all about doing it yourself. And, of course, we can do it ourselves, but I, I'm more of the opinion sometimes it's ju- – I'm more of the opinion that it's just better to have a trusted advisor mm-hmm. by my side. Um, yeah, I, I've got a bit of a dental issue at the moment, which I think most people born in 1960s to 1970s who went through the New Zealand uh, dental nurse system would have. Um, and um, I, I've gone off to see my, my, uh, my dentist who's uh, put me with a periodontal um, uh, specialist, and I've delegated to them um, the advisory process of, well, what have you got to do, Brent? Yep. Now, I don't want to face that, Ken. I don't want to lose teeth <laughs> and end up with um, with a mouthful of dentures, but this is what I've got to look at because I did it myself for so long and didn't go and see the professionals. So that's really what the downside, I think, of DIY investing is you second-guess yourself. Yep. I and sometimes, to... you put off, sometimes you put off what you should have done, yep. and sometimes you do what you shouldn't have done. So, <laughs> yeah. I wonder though, it's, it's a bit like a bit of string, Brent. How long is it? I mean, it, from from I would guess suggest from most people's point of view, investing whether DIY or come and see guys like yourself is investing about minimising risk or taking a risk. Well, I think that's a great point. Um, I think they're flip sides of the same coin. Um, it, it, it's about minimising risk, and we all know how. Well, I, I it's a bit. Pejorative of me to say we all know how to do it. I mean, the book's been written on that. The book of modern finance says you minimise risk by diversification. Diversification is your buddy, it's your friend, yeah. and that's how you minimise risk. But you've also got to take risk to some degree um, because uh, there is no reward uh, with, it, with with just having with just sitting in cash. Um, but also thinking about if you're going to do it yourself. Um, I was just commenting earlier on to a colleague. Yeah, Mike Tyson made seven hundred million dollars in, in his in his life as a boxer. Do you know what he's worth today? No, how much? About three million. Really? <laughs> he must have taken a few risks. Yeah. Well, Lindsay Lohan. She 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 earned twenty eight million as an actress, and today she's worth less than eight hundred thousand. Wow. So so you might think I'm okay to take it on myself, but there's all these slings and arrows or there's, there's family, not necessarily family issues, but you know, you might feel an obligation to your parents or your children. There's, you're being pulled in different directions yeah. and the issue might be that you don't have a plan. And sometimes it's just, it's just nice to sit down with someone and say, hey, what do you think I could do or, or, or should do? Now, 
that's, you know, you might do that over a barbecue, but we're talking here about your financial future and being secure. So rather than doing it over a barbecue with a mate or a friend or a, 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 a family member, maybe having an arm's length, independent individual that you can just bounce ideas off as a sort of trusted advisor, I think that's a a far better way of of coping with it, you know, rather than sitting there and, 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 um, you know, brushing my teeth and flossing, you've just got to go for a checkup every six months on your, on your, on your teeth and and the same with your health and the same with your financial health, I think, Ken. I wonder that uh, there is an old saying, there's no such thing as a free lunch. And I wonder when it, when it comes to investing, regardless of what I invest in and regardless of whether I do it myself or come and see you, uh, should I be investing money that I can afford to lose? So, you know, it, it's, yeah, so if you buy something on the share market then it, and the company goes bust overnight, you think, oh, well, I could afford to lose that money. Should you be investing money that you can't afford to lose? Surely not. Uh, well, if you're going to take a punt... If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, take a speculative type um, uh, view of a market, then yeah, you, you've got to be able to afford to lose that money. That's the same. That's not really an investment. That's more a speculation. But mm-hmm. when we talk about investments, we're meaning things. And, and recently, you'll see that the, the the government has mandated a change in the Kiwi Saver yes. default funds. Um, the government recognises that a well-diversified portfolio, and they, they recognise the evidence-based, um, the scientific evidence-based uh, proposition of a well-diversified portfolio across all asset classes, across most currencies, across all geographies, over the longer term, produces a, a solid return. The you know the the, the wider index markets have returned 11.2 percent mm. compounding since 1928. That's not speculative. We've got a lot of scientifically based evidence for that. So um, having a well-diversified portfolio that you're contributing to on a regular basis, be it KiwiSaver, uh, be it something outside of that KiwiSaver structure, uh, is, a, is a, an investment for yourself for the longer term. I, I would not say that that's speculative. But going back and taking a punt on a particular individual share mm-hmm. is speculative. So I, I was just, in preparation for today, I was just taking a look at Coca-Cola. So Coca-Cola started in 1886, and one share in Coca-Cola when it, when it, when it, when it uh, listed in 1919 was $40, right? Yep. So... How much do you think forty dollars a hundred and two years ago is worth today? What would forty dollars a hundred and two years ago buy you today? I think it's probably worth a couple of grand, isn't it? No, forty dollars then is worth in today's dollars. Right, it would it would buy you two dollars and seventeen cents worth of goods, well, less than a bottle of milk. If you, if you put forty dollars in the bank, hmm? it would only be worth two dollars seventeen today. Wow! But inflated. Forty dollars then would be it, it, to, to buy the same in, in today's currency would be six hundred and forty three dollars today. Look at that. Now three shares in Coca Cola would have cost you one hundred and twenty dollars nineteen nineteen, or uh, in, in in today's dollars one thousand nine hundred and twenty eight dollars. It's funny because nineteen twenty eight is the same as the, yeah. the Great Depression. Yeah, the Great Depression started. So, nineteen twenty-eight in today's dollars. How much do you think 
those three shares in Coca-Cola at $120 or $1,928 in today's currency would be worth today. Go on, put me out of my misery. How much? $16.6 million. Wow. So what are you saying, Brent? Yeah. You're, you're, you've got to be in for the long haul. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the thing about Coca-Cola, though, of course, is for every one Coca-Cola, there's probably three or four other companies that failed along the way. Yes. I, I wouldn't, I and that's the point about diversification. Now, now, Buffett talks about Coca-Cola being his mainstay because what's Coca-Cola gone and done? Yeah. They're diversified. Yes. They don't just have Coke. They also have Sprite. Now they're into water. Um, I think Mount Franklin, uh, water out of Australia, um, is is one of their brands. So they've diversified. So what what happens, Brent? So uh, so I'm coming along and I'm I'm a novice, and someone says, "Oh, buy buy Coca Cola," and I say, "Mm, "Maybe I'll go and see Brent." And then what do you say to me? Do you say buy Coca Cola or or what? What do you say as a professional advising me, a, a rank amateur? So we we recommend. A, 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 a well-researched, diversified portfolio because there's so many things that can also work behind the scenes. For example, currency, hedging. Um, to hedge your currency, if you're buying Coca-Cola, you're going to buy in U.S. dollars. So what's the U.S. dollar going to do vis-a-vis the New Zealand dollar? By the way, Coca-Cola also has investments in, say, uh, other countries like you know, Austria, Australia, China, etc., etc. So they have a currency policy. So you have all these other underlying factors that go together. What we would always recommend is a well-diversified portfolio. We do not recommend individual stocks or shares, and we invest and recommend investments into things that we understand, mm-hmm. understand how they operate. Um, one of the things that I've been dealing with recently is many questions about cryptocurrency, and I just don't understand it. Same. I don't know who Satomori Nagasaki or whatever his name is that nobody in the world knows who it is invented this thing and how it works. I understand the blockchain process, and by all means, um, use the blockchain process or, uh, as JP Morgan is doing, invest in that blockchain process because we, we understand that. But the actual currency going from $200 to 82000 and then 82000 to 60000 in the space of two weeks, I don't understand that. Is crypto the goose that laid the golden egg or well, what would you say? It seems to be. Uh, other uh, boom-bust cycles, you know, Isaac Newton, um, brilliant man, had more brains than than I've probably ever had hot meals in my life, you know, um, buried in Westminster Abbey, um, a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, mathematician and scientist, but he lost everything in the South Sea Island bubble. Um, there was the tulip mania of the mm. 1600s when, when a tulip was worth you know, probably more than the gross domestic product of all of New Zealand. Yes. Um, the South Sea Island bubble, the tulip mania, there, there's been many, many uh, crazes um, that have come and gone from an economic cycle, and that's because people aren't investing. That's because they're speculating. Yes, indeed. And they're speculating to make up for the lost ground uh, that they didn't start to invest when they were in their you know, early teens or 20s. Um, I remember back, if, if, if you save something in the order of $2.50 a day from the age of, say, 15, let's say you're doing a paper round or if those things yeah. still exist even, or a milk run, 
you invest $2.50 a day from the age of 15 until the age of 65, you're going to be a millionaire. Yeah. If you're investing in a well-diversified portfolio of even an index, a market index, obtaining an 11.2% compounding return, you're going to be a millionaire uh, by 65. I'm, I'm, I'm reminded of, of uh, there's a famous, well-known investor, he might not be famous, by the name of Peter Lynch. And he ran a, a fund called the Magellan Fund. And he was in charge of the Magellan Fund from 1977 until I think he gave up the ghost around about the mid-90s. And his fund consistently, year on year, performed at around about 29%, wow. 29.2 to be precise. Do you know what the average investor in that fund got as a return, Ken? Nope. What did he get? 2.4%. The point is that people were trying to time the market. They're trying to jump in and jump out and second guess what already is being done by the underlying fund. So the managers of that fund had already taken a position by an investor or a speculator, really, trying to time in and time out, they're undermining the very thing that they're trying to achieve. I wonder, though, Ben, how do you know when to get in and get out? Because I suppose most people who invest their money, uh, even if we look at it in the long term, uh, and, and you know, we talk about that cycle seven years, uh, peaks and troughs every seven years, how do you know when to get out? Because we, we put our money into, whether we put it in the bank or whether we invest it and diversify it, there, there comes a time when we probably will want to get out. When is that time that you might suggest as a professional say, hey, Ken, good time to get out? Well, we spoke earlier about having advisors, and, and sure, that is the role of an advisor to some degree, but we've also delegated to some, some extent that responsibility to the fund manager. So I remember back in 2007, 8, 9, when we went through what's now referred to as the Great Recession, a lot of my clients, I was living in those days in Singapore, and a lot of my clients were saying, hey, should we get out, should we get out? Um, we need to get out. And my answer to them after the, the, the crash had happened uh, was that, um, look, the market is recessed by 40%. This is either the end of capitalism, and if it is then we may as well sell everything up and go on a holiday to the Bahamas or the Bermuda or wherever you want to go because that's the end of life as we know it. Yeah. Or Microsoft will still keep selling software, Intel will still keep selling chips, Coca-Cola will still keep selling water, Coca-Cola, Sprite, uh, Google will still keep selling its online services, Apple will still... And the world will recover. People will adapt. The same happened with COVID. Markets dropped 20, 25% between the 25th of January and the 5th of March. And plenty of people pulled out of the market and they crystallized those losses. Yes. The market rebounded 50 to 55% after that. Yeah. Who's most likely to pull out? Well, on, on fundamental basis, mm. if you look at certain stocks like or, and, and we're not never stock-specific, but you look at Nestle, uh, Unilever, or, or Procter & Gamble, three of the discretionary market um, consumables, or um, they sell market consumables, 
their P.E. ratios, their price-earnings ratios, are quite high. Mm. One would almost say they could be overvalued on, on, on a fundamental basis. But the issue is that people still need to buy those goods and services. So yes. if you've averaged into uh, those types of stocks over time, um, you know, you're perfectly all right. But if you're jumping in boots at all... Yeah. Uh, today, yes. then you're buying at today's price rather than having averaged in. The P.E. ratio for Procter & Gamble at the moment is 28.8. Now, all of the financial uh, pundits, um, the, the Schiller price earnings ratio, suggests that a market is overvalued when that P.E. ratio is higher than 15. I think it's, it's mm. either 14.8 or 15.8. So Procter & Gamble is way overvalued on a fundamental basis. Yes. So what's However, the, the thing is, they're selling goods and services that people need, mm, and absolutely. people need today. And they will diversify further. They might diversify into, you know, into hand creams or th things you know, uh, that, that are COVID, um, that are necessary for COVID. I, I, I just looked up now, uh, Nestle. Nestle is at 28.2. It's not a disparate P.E. ratio to Procter & Gamble, but very highly valued in terms of, or, or, or overvalued in terms of, or in terms of uh, historical P.E. ratios. Just about out of time, Brent. Who, uh, just quickly, who's doing the investing at the moment? What age group are putting their money into uh, what you were talking about? Is it, is it young people or old people or what? Look, I'm seeing it right across the board, Ken. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing people that are people that are older, and by older I mean you know over over sixty, relatively nervous, and they're being. Yes. But my attitude towards that is, hey, you don't retire from life at sixty, sixty-five. Life expectancy is another twenty, thirty years, mm, um, and that means that you can't stay out of markets for that reason. I, I'm seeing younger people as well, people in their twenties. In fact, I, I, I just just met with a, a lovely young couple who are in their in their twenties, and they put uh, they put ten thousand dollars into cryptocurrency, and they've made like half a million dollars, wow. and now they're worried what happens with that half a million. Yes. So they're looking to risk off, you know, de-risk that, and have a diversified portfolio into something that is understandable. You know, at least. I know what Dove soap is, right? Mm. I don't know what yes. a Bitcoin is and, and what it can what it can actually do for me. And I can't seem to be able to to buy my twenty dollar parking voucher with two fifths of yes. Bitcoin somehow. <laughs> those are, those returns that you just mentioned. I mean, are they what skew the market? Because you know, if I, if you were saying to me, well, look. This couple with ten grand in now they're worth half a million bucks from that investment. I might be thinking to myself, let's have a, a slice of that. Well, of course we'd all like a slice of that. I'll, I'll just take you back. I'm just going to ask you a couple of questions, or I'll ask you a question after this. But um, in in a former life, and you can Google me up if you so wish. Uh, I, I used to do a bit of warbling in my time, and I did a bit of singing. And in 1998. I was a, a cover in an opera called Turandot uh, for New Zealand Opera. And um, my cover fee, my fee in 1998 for doing the cover was $850. Mm -hmm. I remember it distinctly. Because it was the same year that Winston Peters allowed Auckland Airport to be floated. And so I thought, I don't need the 850 bucks. I'll put it all into Auckland Airport shares. 
correct. It's an undiversified investment. But my logic was it was a monopoly or a monopolistic situation. Mm. Anybody who flew into New Zealand had to come through, I think, Auckland or Christchurch in those days because Wellington's airport wasn't long enough. But um, anyway, so I did that. And today, that $850 in Auckland Airport shares, and bear in mind Auckland Airport's had a bit of a caning recently because of uh, the pandemic and people not um, coming through our airports, is worth $11,000. Wow. That's pretty good. I'd have a slice of that. That's 11% compounding, Mm. Ken. That's bang on what the Dalbar study says. The issue about DIY investing and the issue about individuals investing is the same as your New Year's resolutions, Ken. Yeah. What were your, What was last year's New Year's <laughs> resolutions? Could I put you on the spot? Uh, well, my last year's resolution was to run a marathon. Did it happen, Ken? No, didn't. Now, I don't think you're unusual in that. I want to lose a few pounds over the, over the coming year. I think our New Year's resolutions, instead of being, um, I want to give something up, I think they're a bit like a bit like Lent, I want to take something on. Mm. I'm going to be more healthy, and that means maybe stopping smoking or, or drinking yes. less or doing some more exercise. But at the end of the day, we've got to be like that old Grecian god, Nike. We've just got to get out there and just do it. And on that, a great way to end the show. But before we let you go, Ben, just remind our listeners, if we want any sound financial advice, where do we get it? Well, I would suggest an independent financial advisor, independent of the major institutions, and of course, we at Stewart Group are always ready, willing, and able to have a fireside chat and see if there's some way that we can assist you in achieving your goal. 